Dirt Talk Monday edition. We're back. We're back. W-I-T-T. Not Eric Jumper. (laughs) Okay, everybody. Welcome to Dirt Talk (laughs) with Alex and Aaron. It is Monday, May. What day is it, Alex? It is May 2nd. It's May 2nd, everybody. Spring has sprung. It is May 2nd. It's May 2nd. Eric Jumper is not here. Good dude. Thankful for him jumping in. Yeah. Def- jumping in. Uh, nah, uh, good one. Definitely a temporary host. Yeah, don't count on that guy for anything. <laughs> he, was, he was gunning for my job. De- definitely, definitely a temporary solution. Definitely a band-aid mm-hmm. uh, to Alex's unfortunate vacation. Yes, it was very unfortunate. Let's, I, I do want to set the record straight. That was a trip, dog. <laughs> I was there with my family. That's a trip. That is not a vacation. So it's it's not relaxing to travel with small children. It was not. Um, it was fun. Did you drive? Mm-mm. It was fun. only like seven and a half, maybe. Okay, that's not bad. You know, Benjamin, the other day. So, <laughs> for whatever reason, for whatever reason, they decide to go to Arizona for vacation. Arizona, if if I don't know if you've looked on a map recently, Arizona. Benjamin lives in Washington, Washington State. Arizona and Washington are not very close together. I thought he lived in Oregon. Um, he he's is on both. he's on the Washington side of the river, Got it. so he's very close to Oregon. Um, but Take in Washington, back. yeah. So they're not very close together. It's a it's a trip. It's I've done that drive multiple yeah. times. It's it's a long ways, and he has six small children. And his point was, oh, "Are you kidding me? There's no way we could fly," which is a valid point. True. I could not even imagine that. The whole row. So the alternative is to drive, but it looked like a mission, a mission to drive that far with six very small children. I don't think they were there that long. They were there for a week. Okay. Okay. They were there. That makes more sense. He's now. crazy, but that is, that's crazy. They're just testing it out because he, and he's going to be back there in a little bit to, when y'all do the Grand Canyon. Yeah. He's going back. I didn't, I'm not doing it. You're not doing it? Yeah. Okay. I am. So. I've been struggling with an IT band issue. I'm undertrained right now. Yeah. And it was one of those I'm doing something within the company right now that is consuming a lot of my mental bandwidth. Yeah. A lot of my mental bandwidth. More than ever before. Three as well as physical being in a place bandwidth. Yeah. Three. Um, you do have to just listen to where your body's at and mind is at. And that would have just been too much right now. So, okay, sure, bundle all that up. Maybe it's just one old big excuse. I'm okay with that. It it would have, I was, I'm not, I would not have been running it with amateurs. Everybody is like a high power. Yeah, serious, serious runner. So it's not going to be a slow pace. Undertrained with that, completely exhausted mentally, emotionally. I need to be on this week, on next week. I can't go beat the hell out of myself. More than I probably ever beat my beat myself up before this weekend. Mm-hmm. Between it's just it just didn't work. That so makes sense. A few weeks ago, I was just like, guys, I I I have to back out because I I cannot physically, mentally, emotionally do this right now. You, I think you mentioned um, maybe on a call or or maybe on like Instagram even. Did you notice or like have that feeling that you might be undertrained? prior to the Boston Marathon or was that afterwards like all right well, shoot it, no it was a decision because the the decision was either train properly and potentially injure myself beforehand and not be able to run it at all or undertrain and run it 
run it at like with the knowledge of I'm undertrained. I'm not going to be able to run it the way. I, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But everybody thinks a marathon. Uh, it's like, yeah, it's hard. But I was running my typical run for this entire year up until the marathon was three miles. I wasn't running a long, dis- long mm-hmm. distance beforehand. I was just doing it consistently every day, two, three miles a day. Just that part gets easier and easier. Yeah. So yeah. I was doing two, three miles a day. I did one 10-mile run, so one long run beforehand. And I was sore after, more sore than I probably should have been if I was trained, but it wasn't that bad. So it's just amazing. Once once you prove to yourself what's possible, then you're like, well, I've done this before. I can do it again. No, no problem at all. And it becomes a lot more achievable mm-hmm. even when you're less physically able than you were before but more mentally afraid at that period than you are today that makes sense when you did the boston were you like intentionally like keeping an eye on your um pace from like a math standpoint we're just like all right no because i I didn't have to run it at any kind of pace you just ran it at like what felt fine yeah 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 so i just i just ran it at whatever my body wanted to run it at and i ended up being eight minutes a mile yeah which isn't that bad pretty good but the, like you, you but mentioned, which I th- has been fascinating, you spent the whole race getting passed. Whole, whole time. <laughs> whole time, dude. Everybody was so fast. It was completely insane. But I qualified. I mean, I, I ran it 30 minutes longer than my qualifying time. That's which, a big that difference. Up, yeah. That is a big, a, a monster difference. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was I so I started with all of the people that could run really really fast and then just got past the entire time. So sick, yeah, super cool. But I really enjoyed it. I just don't know if I'll ever qualify again because it's I I don't know how I did it the first time. I oh. I genuinely So don't. you felt like you your initial qualifying time was like brushing in. Especially you've talked a little bit about how like you really went pedal to the metal in the last couple of miles to like try to get in a certain time. I was thinking about it this morning. I'm, I was running on a treadmill. I was doing some training. So it's like you kind of sprinting and it wasn't on a traditional mm-hmm. treadmill, self-propelled, self-propelled. So it was like a minute sprint and I was running like a, I was doing like a fast jog or kind of like sprint jog. And I was like 645 a mile and I was, I was huffing it. And to think that that's what I did for 26 mile, it just doesn't. Uh, yeah. How were your splits when you qualified? Like, was it faster at the end? Uh, or at least more faster than the middle? I don't know. I don't know. But it, it all had to be fast. Yeah. But I walked for a little bit of it. Which means you had to turn it on at some point. Yeah. Because yeah. my body just broke at like mile 21. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, I had never had that happen before where it was just like, you just slam into a wall. And your body's just like, uh-uh, we ain't doing any more of this. Then I'd walk for a little bit, and then I would look at, like, the stop sign, like, 100 feet in front of me. Okay, I'm going to run to that stop sign. And I'd run to the stop sign, and then my body would be like, uh-uh. And I'd walk a little bit more, and like, okay, there's that stoplight right there, or that cone. I'm going to run to that cone. And that's how I did, like, two or three miles. Mm-hmm. And then I called ass the last few. There's, like, a very obvious uh, four-minute loop in my neighborhood it's basically like straight to the end of the neighborhood come back kind of cut through it but it's like very clearly right on four miles and so when there'll be some days when i do it i'm like why was that so hard oh i forgot to eat Mm. and it's like i I think my brain sometimes doesn't really like register it's like why is this so hard i must not i thought i was my times were better i thought i could run hard like 
I missed like a very vital part of this. It's like you have to have fuel to, to go. Well, funny enough, I, I run fast every morning. Really? I never eat before I run. Only when I go I feel on a better long when run. I run in the morning that yeah. way. Then yeah. like say like yeah. I didn't get breakfast and then it's like, well, I'll eat lunch after I run, or, you know, or however like that thing, but it's like, oh, it's cuz I'm like specifically like hungry before I even did this. Yeah. Yeah, it's and there's a bunch of competing thoughts about oh, you need to eat before you exercise and I I feel better when I don't. So mm-hmm. that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And maybe it's giving me a disadvantage, but okay, so be it. I feel better. So, are you, are you typically pretty hungry after you exercise? There's like general oh, general rule. Dude, I eat so much in the mornings. So much. Like I just had like this morning, I made this huge breakfast sausage, a few eggs, spinach, onion, pepper, avocado. Oh man, it's just mm, unbelievable. Just what you need. Love me my <laughs> breakfast. Yeah, because it's I'm gonna go bust my ass. And then I'm going to go eat a big meal, get some fuel. There you go. Right on. That's it. Um, well, I think probably the most obvious thing we can touch on is you were not in America for a while. No. No, I was not in America um, from Saturday to Sunday. Yesterday. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we did three countries. We started in Zurich, Switzerland, then went to Colmar, France. And then ended in Munich, Germany. Uh, first time to Europe. And I had an absolute blast. Looked fun. I mean, you were in an airport for a while, like in the middle of the night. That was pretty cool. Dude, just the whole, <laughs> just the whole trip is crazy. So this was, <laughs> just to think, social media is nuts. Mm-hmm. So I meet all of these people on social media. And just kind of create this trip out of the internet like i assume you're a real person i assume you're a real person. yeah but i didn't know any of these people getting into it and shay stutzman he was also going there at the same time so it's like oh yeah i'll piggyback and so he kind of piggybacked on what we had arranged and then i piggybacked on some of the stuff he arranged and then we split up and went to lee bear and then the guy that arranged a lot of what we had up front like the airport then piggybacked onto what, what I, I love it. So yeah. <laughs> we're all helping out each other. Um, but yeah, you can just create this whole thing on the internet and, and meet these people around the world that all share this common interest and love for heavy equipment and machinery. And uh, it's just a, it's really, 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 really cool. So, because I, I distinctly remember I, um, Mm, it was my second year in business, like early into the second year, maybe, like maybe first year and a half. And that first second year was tough. It was tough. I was just getting the shit kicked out of me left and right. And I needed to focus. I had a friend group. My girlfriend at the time was included in that. They were all going to Oktoberfest in Germany in Munich. And I so desperately wanted to go, so desperately wanted to go. But just gut feeling, no, I, I need to take care of the business. I need to do what is right in front of me. Fast forward to now, and it's cool to just be able to go to Europe for business, go see some world-class companies, meet some amazing people, t- see multiple countries while we're there, and just have a ton of fun. Yeah. like It's so cool knowing that, hey, I've been busting my ass for so long, so long, so long. I have that, but... But in doing so, I've created these new opportunities that I could have never even imagined even only just a few years ago. 
So it was really cool to be out there. Um, the fact that we had arranged it all just through the internet, the fact that these companies that are just, they're not, they're not great companies, they're world-class companies, invited us into their job sites with open arms. Oh, come on down. Whatever you want, like whatever you guys want, we'll do, man. Happy to have you. And they're just so happy to have you and they're going through everything and whatever you guys need and we're eating food together. It's just such an awesome experience. And then, so those were all the companies in Switzerland. And then we go spend time with Liebherr in France and Germany. And Liebherr allows us to film their factory for the first time ever. So they get factory tutors, but they're like, yeah, we have not allowed people to take pictures or video in our factory before. Wow. So they were, it was definitely a new process for them. Mm -hmm. But even just them allowing us to do that, allowing us the opportunity to do so, absolutely uh, is just so humbling and exciting to know that um, we're, we're making enough of a difference where that we're a company that well respected would trust us with something potentially so important, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. So just all around a really fantastic experience. And I feel like I'm starting to really get to the point in my life where I can just genuinely appreciate wherever I am. And so the whole trip, I was just taking it in and, um, uh, not only was the equipment a cool the work was cool, but just the, the places we were, it was just all so cool. And I was able to appreciate it and respect it more than I ever have appreciated somewhere before. Mm -hmm. So it was just everything combined, the cool equipment, cool sites, cool people, cool places, the point I'm at where I, you know, the point in life I, I am where I am, all of that came together and just created a, a massively wonderful experience. I feel like there was definitely a lot of um, community building in there. You know, it's like you've said, similar to your trips um, to like the Middle East, where it's just like we're we're connecting dots, you know, from this American style of infrastructure, seeing that in a completely other part of the world. Oh, in the same way, like you're, you know, like building community with these folks, just like, you know, here's how it kind of happens back home. Here's how you guys are doing it. That's really cool. Wow, we do it actually the same way here. Um, yeah. You know, like, oh, you, you're just as pumped up about equipment as I am, even though we don't know each other. You know, like, there's a lot of that, which I'm really, it's pretty cool. Yeah. It, it, if I wanted to actually explain the whole trip and the whole experience, it would probably be a 12-hour podcast. Yeah. There was just so much learning and so many experiences. And we just did so, it was just so packed in to a seven-day period. It was such a rich week. The The coolest experience, probably the cool, there was, I don't even know if it was, I could say there was one coolest experience because it was all cool. But a particular experience of note. Was... A particular experience of note uh, was the one you brought up the airport. So they had told us that there was this airport project going on, but we we there's no way we'd be able to see it. First day we're there, they ask us, you guys want to go out to the airport? We think <laughs> we're going to be able to make it work. And we're like, hell yes, we want to go out to the airport. So he's like, okay, cool. We'll pick you up at nine o'clock, then meet at this gate. So we meet at this gate. We go through security. So you have to get a badge. You have to give them your passport. You have to get all your bags searched. You have to go through the metal detector like you're getting on an airplane. You get into the vehicles and then you drive out into Zurich International Airport. This is a massive airport, massive airport, probably the biggest one in Switzerland, one of the biggest in that area of, of Europe. So we drive out into the airport and it's 10 p.m. So it's dark. 
and there's these massive jumbo jets everywhere sleeping, you know, 777s, 787s, A350s, just big planes and you're you're weaving in in between all of them and all the private jets and you get to this staging area in the staging area maybe they said at least it was probably 120 people, maybe 150 people and almost 100 machines. So there's tons of machines. People are getting into machines, firing things up. And then it all kind of just goes quiet as everybody's just waiting. So you have all the crews just shooting the poop, some light towers on, but not a whole lot going on. Not too much running. They, they started it up, made sure everything was good, then shut everything off. So not a whole lot was idling. Mm-hmm. And we were just sitting there on one of the runways, watching the planes come in onto the main runway. And the planes are, you're standing, you're in the airport. So you're on the taxiway, on the taxiway, watching the planes come in. And the last plane came in at about 1130. So you just watch the planes, just, you're just like a six-year-old. Wow, that plane's right there. Wow, that plane's right there. And then 1130 hits, we get into the cars and it is just like absolute pandemonium. I mean, it's just like someone kicked an ant pile and there's just fucking ants running around everywhere because we're, so we're in like the back of this van racing. So everybody is racing down in a line down the runway that planes were just landing on and an articulated dump truck tears past us at full speed and, and wheeled excavators are driving out there left and right. And we pull up and there's these big semis that are shit, they must have been at least a hundred foot long trailers with these sound walls pulling up, light plants pulling up, wheeled excavators pulling up, the 390s already on that runway hammering. So you have a 390 excavator already hammering on the runway. A 385 excavator gets driven up. They put it on wheels, on two temporary wheels, Mm -hmm. and then the bucket in the back of the articulated truck and the articulated truck drives it around. I was going to say, okay, that makes sense. Onto the runway. And in five minutes they're already peeling up parts of the runway that planes were landing on like five minutes ago and just the whole time and it's raining and it's cold but we're all so fired up it was the stutzman boys it was four of them it was me angel you go with big machinery and 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 urs who was our 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 guide from eberhard and that was the company eberhard Mm -hmm. i didn't say that eberhard 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 unbelievable unbelievable company but within five minutes they're already peeling up the runway and there's people setting up total station. I mean, it's just absolute mayhem and it's mayhem because the goal is to replace the entirety of the runway, but they can't stop the planes. So they have a window from the last time the last plane lands to when the first plane lands every single night. And so they do, I think it's a 70 meter section, which is about 250 feet maybe a little bit more, maybe 300 feet, I don't know, somewhere in there, every single night for over 70 nights to complete the whole runway. Yeah, it's so long. And so they have to peel out all of the existing concrete. They have to grade it. They have to put in the new pipe for the electrical lines for the runway lighting, and they have to repave it all by the time the first plane lands. And if they don't, if they miss it by just one minute, it's $20,000 a minute is the liquidated damages. $20,000 a minute. Yeah. So it uh, behooves them to get it right. Yes. So that's why they have all of this equipment, all of these people. They had three mills out there 
They had a 385, 390. They probably had six or seven wheeled excavators, sweepers left and right. They had a D6 paving the majority of the asphalt, which I'd never seen before. You don't pave with a dozer. Mm-hmm. They have two pavers that, that lay the, the surface course using UTS. They have two more pavers sitting there idling just in case one of the other pavers goes down. Because it has to keep happening. <laughs> because the schedule is so tight. They have the money there to just have two pavers on the runway idling just in case. I've seen like, yeah, we have a backup paver, but it's not, you don't have it just sitting there on waiting to go in if the other one goes out. And everything is completely buttoned up, completely swept. Nothing has ever happened by the first time the plane lands. It was just just mind-boggling. I mind-boggling. Everything about it was insane. Think about the complicated like planning, not just from like, all right, here's the work we're going to do, but like, here's how everybody's going to get out there. Here's how we're not going to hit each other. Here's how we're all going to like be out there safely. Oh, yeah. Like that's like. But the craziest Nuts. thing is, it's I, I got turned to Shay and and after watching it for a few hours and just disbelief, I told Shay, I was like, there is, this is totally organized chaos and I couldn't even tell you who's in charge. I have no fucking clue. I don't know who the- Decentralized command. I don't know who dog. the boss is around here. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. But it was just so well thought out. Like the, the 390 gets out onto the runway, has a hammer on it, starts hammering. I mean, and these guys are fucking moving. Hammer, 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 hammer. A semi truck with a trailer pulls up right next to the 390, right on time. The 390 turns over, disconnects its hammer. It has oil quick, so there's no hoses to worry about or anything. Grabs a ripper, takes the ripper, peels up carefully the first slabs of concrete from the, the previous area that they just completed. Starts peeling it up, peeling it up, peeling it up. Okay. Lays the ripper on the, on the waiting semi with all the tools grabs this purpose-built slab bucket. That's amazing. The semi takes off because now the slab bucket's ready to go Mm -hmm. and they just start peeling up and then the articulated truck pulls right up and starts plopping the concrete right in there. And all of the concrete was whisked away to the recycling plant for recycling. And to not aggregate, they recycle concrete into concrete in Switzerland, which is not something they do in the United States. What do they typically recycle? concrete into into just aggregate. just aggregate and then it could be concrete again but not necessarily no, no it's just aggregate oh just aggregate yeah got it wow so yeah the well, logistics like, of that kind of break my brain a little bit like how many people were out there on for like this specific i maybe 150 damn <laughs> and i mean the the, the area is not that big but yeah, it was just there were articulated trucks racing around, excavators, wheeled excavators, sweepers, little baby dump trucks, mills, pavers, rollers. Talk about knowing your role. Just like I'm here to do this thing. I don't need to ask for permission to do this thing, dude. And it was it my job to know when it's time. It was like one of the guys got fired, like pulled out. Like one of them walked over to the one of the wheeled excavators, like, "Hey, dude, you're out of here," and he just got the hell out of there because he was just getting in the way. Like they Jeez. just didn't have any patience or time for anybody but you watch the guys that didn't know what the hell they were doing work unbelievable they were just like artists i mean they knew exactly what everything like everything needed to be done when it needed to be done and one of the coolest things in switzerland is all the machines have oil quick and so they're able to disconnect and connect to whatever tools they need they use a lot of tools 
So the wheeled excavator guys were, they'd grab the hammer, then they'd grab a bucket, then they'd grab uh, a little um, trencher to do to do this little work. And they were just constantly switching out different attachments, different tools for whatever task needed to be done at that particular time. And that's like a, a really high level, like it requires a high level of expertise. You got to know, right, on this step, like this is the, this is the tool I need. Yeah. And I got to be able to get to it quick. I need to know where it is. I need to know that it's lined up for me to grab. Like there's all those things and that you're still having to like count on, you know, this guy's job who who brings in, like you said, like the semi that had all of those pieces. He had to like know that he, that guy's going to be there because I'm going to need it at this point. Yeah. They just, they just knew what needed to happen mm -hmm. when, and they had gotten a lot of practice. It wasn't sure. the first time they'd done it because they have to do it 70 times over, 70 plus times over, but just, just everything, even like the sound wall trucks. So they had these three big, I've never seen this before, these massive sound walls that they drive in and then they lower one of the sides to create this huge barrier on one side. I was like, why the hell, why the hell are those there? He's like, there's houses all the way over there. And we just wanted to show them that we're trying to do something here because we're hammering all night long. I was like, does it make a difference? And you walk around the back of it. You're like, I could not even, I wouldn't wow. even know there's something going on back there. And they're one of those uh, over by the Nashville airport. It's like, it's stationary. It's not on a truck. And then a sound wall. Um, that's for the, the blast from oh, the jet engines. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Right. So the, different thing. The jet's taken off. It doesn't blow cars off the road. Probably be what you want. Yeah. But it's kind of similar. Kind of similar. What's the dry time um, when they're repaving part of like the the runway? It's really quick. So they leave like an hour buffer. Okay. And by that time, they're like, it's going to be good to go. Yeah. Yeah. It was another thing that absolutely blew my mind. So when we were getting there at 10, there were trucks pulling in. And oh, huh, the coolest thing about all this was it's a consortium of companies doing this work. And they've called themselves Midnight Force. Awesome. <laughs> Midnight Force. You're like, do you have a yeah. hat? <laughs> yeah. In, in the United States, you know, if Kiewit and Skanska jo joint venture, it's a Kiewit and Skanska joint venture. You're like, like, no. Zero creativity Come up with an awesome whatsoever. Name. Yeah. How about Midnight Force? Like, yeah. yes, that's the one. Like, so cool. <laughs> but they had trucks coming in that said Midnight Force on them. The trucks said Midnight Force. That's how legit this was. And they're like, yeah, that's the asphalt coming in. But I was thinking, I was like, you guys haven't even started yet. How are you paving? How do you have asphalt coming in? Because asphalt, you have to keep it warm. Mm -hmm. if it, it's, yeah. it's all dependent on temperature. I don't know. We can't wait for trucks to the batch plant. So they put it into a asphalt warming tent on the airport next to the runway. So all of the asphalt they need, all of the material they need is already there. Well before they ever Prep start ready paving. to go. Yeah. So you're not waiting on trucks. You're not waiting on a plant. Oh, the plant broke. None of that. You already have all your material on the ground. I legit maybe got chills when you told me it was called Midnight Force. That's one of the cooler things I've ever heard. Yes. <laughs> yes. Midnight Force. Oh, man. Okay. Well, now I'm jacked up. Let's do some dirt talk questions from listeners. Great. All right. First question from Jack. Not Jack Briscoe. Well, it could have been Jack Briscoe. Yeah, it could have been. I don't know. Based on this, I don't, well, actually, this also could be a question from Jack Briscoe. I don't think it is. He says, what have been some successful sales methods for you and your team selling to construction slash industrial business owners? It seems like sales is often misunderstood and that the best salespeople are nothing like people assume. So we'd love to hear more about what has worked for you guys and what you think makes a good industrial salesperson. 
So I'm not the best person to answer this because we actually we have sales people now. No, yeah, we we actually have uh, a few. Jack Briscoe, he's now. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like he team. actually could have asked. Yeah, I. The biggest thing is um, informing your customer before they reach out to you. So thanks to social media, thanks to they ask you answer. You know, if you Google they ask you answer, Marcus Sheridan. Mark, thanks to our approach with our website, and we're getting better and better and better at it. We haven't historically been all that good, but getting better and better and better at it. We're informing our buyers before they ever talk to us. So most everybody reaches out. They've already been following us. They already know what the hell BuildWit's doing. They already know what the companies we work with do. They already, and then they go to our website. Maybe they're curious. They go to our website. They start to see our services. They get a breakdown of what things cost, how we do things, all of the most frequently asked questions. Everything is right there. So that when it does get to that sales conversation, it's just a real conversation on how do we help you? Like Ashley said, so for specifically um, for our training product, build it training. On an hour long conversation with a contractor, she'll spend two to three minutes actually reviewing the product. The other 57 minutes is spent just getting to know them. What are their problems and how can we help solve your problem? That's it. It's a real conversation. You can have a real conversation because you're hoping by the time you get to that conversation, they're already an informed buyer. Mm -hmm. They've already gotten past the, mm, is this right for me or not? Okay, great. So we don't have to waste our time figuring that out on a phone call. We can actually just get right down to what are your problems and how does our business help you solve your problems? That is it. So it's hugely advantageous to talk, use the internet to talk about what the heck is going on before someone comes to you. So you don't have to waste all that time on the phone with one another or in a meeting face to face with one another. So that meeting is actually fun. You're just having a conversation. You're just getting to know one another and you're trying to figure out how can your business come, businesses come together to create a win-win and create a valuable experience for everybody involved. If you take it out of a business perspective and move it towards just like personal life, real world stuff, that's pretty, that's a pretty natural thing. Like if you, if you have some like context on a person you're about to go meet, like first date or whatever, yeah. and they have that same amount of context on you, when you get there, like you already have like a built-in thing going on. And so the, that like sales thing for us has kind of been that same way where it's like, well, I don't need to figure out what's your company called. Um, you know, what do you guys do? Like those things are figured out. And the same thing from, you know, companies who like are finding out information before they get on the phone with us, because it's not going to have to be, all right, can you tell me what your product is? It's like, well, we already, those things are already figured out. Let's get to know each other and kind of figure out how does like this relationship make sense for everybody. Every time I hear, oh yeah, we followed you for a while. It's not, I get really excited and I don't get excited for the sake of my ego. Like, More okay. followers. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It's I get excited because it's like awesome. They know what the heck we do, why we do it. So I can skip that introductory step in the conversation and just get right into it and just have more fun. It just makes for a more fun conversation. Like when I was at Lieber, Lieber Mining the other day, the product manager comes over and, and he's like, Hey, we, we need to we need to correct something on on your Instagram. And uh, it, it was a joke. I was making a joke about the Statue of Liberty yeah. being from America before it was from France. Funny. Mm -hmm. I'm hilarious. Chortle, chortle. And uh, he made that comment. That to me, great. 
He is following along. He knows what the hell we're doing. And I can interact with him on a much deeper level now. Love that. And that makes it so much more compelling and fun. Sales should not be boring. It should not be a drag. It should not be the same thing over and over and over again. One, you have to be excited about what the hell you're selling and believe in what you're selling. If you don't, you're in the wrong place. Go find a place, go find something to sell that you genuinely believe in. If that's if if you don't believe in what you're selling, that's step one. You're done. So genuinely, you have to genuinely believe in what you're selling is going to help the person you're selling. Two, it should it should just be a fun process. You should just be getting to know each other. You should just be getting into the weeds of their business and getting into the weeds of your business so that you can really come to a great um, end result for one another. So have we perfected this? No, no, absolutely not. But we have one hell of a sales team now and we're starting to get much better at it, which is awesome to watch. And that's how we approach it. So... Step one, if you're not stoked on what you're selling, you're in the wrong place. You're you're screwed. There's just no way out of it. And even if you're making a ton of money, but you're just going to be miserable. That's not fulfilling mm -hmm. at all. You're going to end up at a dead end regardless of how much money you're making. Step one, step two, inform your buyer as much as you can up front to make that sales conversation a lot more fun, exciting, rewarding, beneficial for everybody involved. And it's like a level two conversation at that point. You know, like you're... You're one step deeper and that, that's of course going to be more fun. Yeah. That's of course going to be more like compelling and like be more effective and like get you where you're trying to go. Both and, sides of that conversation. And, and, and if, if you uh, want to learn more about that, it's all for free on the Build It app. We have a Marcus Sheridan track mm -hmm. where Marcus Sheridan, who has taught us how to do this, he teaches anybody who- The master of this. This exact thing we're talking about. Yeah, He's the master. Anybody that wants to watch, he, he lays it all out. So go onto the app or go onto buildit.com. It's on the- um the uh what's it called what's the portion the learning hub i was like the, i don't know what you're oh, yeah the, the learning hub the dirt world learning 100%. hub it's all there mm -hmm. um and he explains it all much better than i can he's a smart guy mm -hmm. and he was on dirt talk oh yeah we'll link that in the show notes dude i forgot about that yeah it was a great podcast we've smart had guy. A, a lot of people on at this point yeah i wouldn't say you there shouldn't be much pressure on you to remember if who's been on the podcast obviously if I said, yeah, that person was on the podcast, like, yeah, I don't remember. That's a that's a different issue. Yeah. But straight off, straight up off the dome, like, we've had a lot of podcast guests. We're pretty blessed in that way. Yeah, we have. Yeah. We're gonna be more. So that's my sales thing. So yeah, if sales sucks, you're either selling the wrong thing or you're doing it wrong. It should that's a pretty be, good answer. It should be fun. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks, Jack. Thanks for the question. That was great. All right, uh, last question, Dirt Talk Monday edition from Jared. When does it make sense for smaller dirt world businesses to merge with larger dirt world businesses? I don't know. Whenever. Personal question. <laughs> Consolidation is going to start to happen more and more. And there's some benefits to consolidation because it creates some economies of scale. It creates some bargaining power with other parties like general contractors, materials, suppliers, so on and so forth, equipment yeah. manufacturers. Um, so there's benefits. There's also downsides. And I think a lot of companies are just buying up companies to squeeze them of people and the money that they have and are not creating any value in the process. And that's going to only set the industry back even further. And that's what worries me about it. You're, and you're so comparing that to 
a larger company buying up a smaller company because that smaller company does something they don't can't currently do. Most of the time, these larger companies are buying up smaller companies. Typically, larger companies buy smaller companies. Yeah. That's how it works. Although some smaller companies do buy. Yep. If you want to learn all about that, T. Boone Pickens. There's a, I wish I knew the title of the book, but there's a title of a book T. Boone Pickens wrote. It's so, so good. And he talks all about that, mm-hmm. buying companies 30 times the size of his own, which is wild. Um, and repeatedly, not just once. Yeah. It wasn't just like, here's how I did it one time. It was time. his thing. Yeah. It was, that's what he's known for. Um, typically they buy to either get into a new market or right now they're just buying workforce right now. We just need the people. Yep. That's the best way to do it. Just go buy it. And they just, they make the mistake of thinking that people are just, they don't say this, that they're done. They're no, they're not numbers. They're just numbers. <laughs> and it's just not the case. You're trying to merge a completely different culture with your own. And a lot of times it just doesn't go over well. It's completely rejected or there's mediocre results. And you can look at the data of mergers and acquisitions across the board, not just in the construction industry. They're very, very, very rarely successful. But this is exactly what just happened with um, uh, the materials business. You can look at quarries. So most of the quarries were just family run operations across the United States. But the unfortunate thing is... um, a lot of them didn't have succession plans, so they've just started to get sold, 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 sold to all these bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger materials companies. That answer to not a family anymore, most of them, but to Wall Street or sometimes even worse than that to some foreign entity. Yeah, because it's just an asset. Yeah, and they're just buying up um, reserves at that point. And I just, I, again, it creates some benefit. There is an economy of scale. It is nice to have the same company to do business with across the whole, this part of the country, for example. But I, I also don't think it creates a lot of value. Um, but that's exactly what's going to start happening more and more and more with contractors. It's going to start because contractors don't have a succession plan. And when they don't have a succession plan, um, they either sell or they just close up shop and liquidate their assets. Those are the two options. Mm-hmm. And we've seen, we've seen that happen with companies we know or work with. I've seen it happen both ways many times over and it's just starting. Um, so I guess when, like when's right for you is, is, is there still a lot of, I I just talked to someone recently. They were, they, they've been approached a lot of times over, but they've asked themselves like, okay, if I sold, like, what the hell would I do? This is all I know. This is all I want to do. So they just asked themselves like, so what would selling getting, get me? I wouldn't really get me what I want. So I'm just going to keep doing this, even if I could go get a bunch of money for my company right now. Um, and then there's other people that have said, hey, I've, I've always had a number and I've talked to these people too. If someone hits that number, I'm going to have to consider it. That feels like a good place to be. Yeah. And that's, it just depends on what you want to do in life, what your risk tolerance is, what your desires are. Mm-hmm. So there's never a right time to go sell. It's Whatever's right for you as a company, as a business owner. Now, if there's obviously no succession plan, there's some pressure to sell sometimes. Um, but if you're just a, a business owner and, and you've been, uh, say there's a, an offer for acquisition on the table from a bigger, a bigger company's given you an offer or at least approached you, the first question I would ask is, well, what, I, what do I want? 
do I do I really do it? Would this be good? Would take taking my chips off the table be actually kind of nice right now? Is that what I want mentally, or would that actually do me a disservice? Am I just I just like to play the game, so I should start I should continue to play the game regardless mm-hmm. of what that offer could be. It's it's super dependent on who you are, what your plans are, and what what's right for you, and what's right for the business. You know, there's a lot of business owners too that, hey, I could keep operating this business myself, but it's better off in the hands of someone else because they can go do more with it than I can, or I'm willing to go do because they have the resources that I don't have. There you go. And yeah, I've and seen the that interest happen. and the um, like know-how to go from, you know, where it is now to whatever the next phase is. Cause like, you know, we've talked a good bit before, like a lot of, a lot of companies are start with like one guy and, you know, a skid steer or something like that, but like eventually grows the business and becomes a thing that person was just driving a piece of equipment. And so now all of a sudden has to not deal with equipment at all and has to run a, a business instead. That's a totally different skill set. Maybe it's a totally different set of interests. Yeah. It becomes a thing they don't want to do. Or you just do it for all. I just met with someone the other day and it was, um, you know, he sold his business and he had done it for decades and it wasn't for sale, but someone came along and they started talking and one thing led to another and it ended up, being a, a good opportunity for everybody involved. And um, he had just gotten to the point where it's like, you know, maybe I've been doing this for a long time. Maybe it's just time to take a break and just take it, take a deep breath yeah, and hang out for a sec. And talking to him now compared to a year ago, you, you just, just a million pounds lighter. He just seems just just lighter and, and lighter on his feet because he doesn't have the weight of operating a business on his shoulders. Sure. <laughs> and, and because it's a, it's a hell of a burden. So it, it, super dependent, super dependent. But should, yeah, I mean, it's uh, to me, here's what I'm hearing. Let me, I'll stage it that way. Mm. Here's what I'm hearing. It all depends on like what you want. I think I would assume Jared is asking this from the position of a small smaller dirt world business just depends on how you want it to roll out. Yeah. Like if you want a windfall of cash, like that's typically obviously sometimes that could happen, but I will but say that's not the rest of your life. I've talked to a lot, a lot of business owners now that have sold. They've all put the, they've all prioritized the business and the people over themselves. Yeah. So yeah, they end up with a ton of cash that they've worked hard for yeah. and they deserve. You know, every instance I know of, they more than deserve what they have. But they only took that money after they knew everybody was going to get taken care of. They're not just they not they don't just look at the, wow, that's great. Okay, sold. They're looking at this is my life's work or this is my dad's life works or what life's Whatever work or it whoever is. it is. I'm going to give this to only give this to someone who's going to respect and take care of it. And the money will work out and the money's important, but that's secondary. It's always, does this opportunity make the business as a whole better off the people that are within this business better off? And if the answer is yes, then they sell and then the money works itself out. Mm -hmm. Um, But it never starts the money. It always starts at least in my experience, based on what I've seen, and I've seen a f- actually quite a few of these very yeah. intimately nowadays. We've, yeah, we've seen and heard a good bit of these stories. Yeah, and I've I've kind of I've gotten kind of a front row seat on a lot of this stuff, which a lot of people don't get. Mm-hmm. It's 
always is this best for my people? Um, and in the situations I've seen, it has worked out for the best yeah. with, with their people. And sometimes there's resentment, but I don't think it's necessarily, um, I don't think it's necessarily well-founded. I think it's a lot of, a lot of it's irrational from, mm-hmm. from others, not from them. So Cool. Well, Jared, that's a great question. Thanks for reaching out. Mm-hmm. I know. I, I feel like every other podcast will have a question where the answer is just depends. I've started to, as I've gotten further and further in business, to appreciate nuance. Mm-hmm. It's so, our minds are so, our minds are wired to, it's either A or B. It's black or white. It's right or wrong. A good, an emotion is good or bad. And, but that's just not reality. That is a totally false sense of reality. And every situation, there's, there's, every situation is completely different. Every human being is completely different. Every company is completely different. There's no situation that can, yeah, oh yeah, this is just the right thing to do. I mean, other than like, you know, murder, like sure. I, there's some, that's there pretty are black some and white. Absolutes. <laughs> but yeah, in business, there's just so much nuance to it. And that's where, um, uh, coming out from a business owner's perspective, understanding how you work and understanding what you desire and why you desire it, that's how you can start informing your your decision making mm-hmm. a lot more effectively than just running around willy nilly with your hair on fire. And I've seen a lot of people do that. Hard place to be. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you, Jared. Great question. Great question. Okay. Podcast. Yeah. Uh, before we go out, I do want to say thanks to all the folks who have gone to uh, buildwit.com slash feedback and filled out the Dirt Talk forum, just giving us some more information. We want to hear from you here, um, both what you like hearing on the podcast, what you maybe don't resonate with, what you want more of. Like That's all been super valuable. Uh, please keep doing that. That's been really helpful to us, really helpful to me. Um, you know, Obviously, we're going to keep talking to who we find interesting and want to hear their story, but I think what's helpful to us is kind of knowing like other people, you know, want to hear that too that's very helpful yeah any kind of feedback you can give us is more than helpful yeah you can submit it through the all kinds of ways what is it uh buildwit.com slash feedback there, but there's also going to be like a forum on the website like just it pops up or, like, there's plenty of options or just dirt talk at buildwit.com all of them keep it simple stupid yep. so yeah send us your feedback send us your questions dirt talk at buildwit.com mm-hmm. you can listen on the buildwit app um check out buildwit leaders content it's completely free i think dave turn just came out as well his stuff's good his stuff is phenomenal real good so Dave Turin's now on Billboard Leaders completely for free again this is not us pulling the wool over anybody's eyes um check it out and with that we'll see you in the next episode of Dirt Talk until then stay dirty everybody